the man who didn't have any friends. None. There was once a man who didn't have any friends. None. Do you have any friends? Well, of course you do. But not Zacchaeus. Poor Zacchaeus didn't have any. You're probably wondering why. Was it because he was so short? Well, that's not a reason not to like someone. Was it because he had a name that was hard to say? Well, neither is that. Even though he was short and he did have a funny name, that wasn't it. No, people didn't like Zacchaeus because he stole their money. Zacchaeus collected taxes. Taxes were what people had to pay the king. But Zacchaeus took more than he was supposed to and kept the extra money for himself and made himself rich. Everyone knew what he was up to, and it made them cross and grumpy. They didn't like Zacchaeus one bit. So they made sure he knew it by doing things like avoiding him and walking on the opposite side of the street and pretending not to see him and whispering things like, Oh, there's a nobody who thinks he's a somebody, loud enough so he could hear. Anyway, one day, a huge crowd gathered by the road. Jesus was coming to their town and everyone wanted to see him. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus too, but everyone was too tall. He tried jumping up and down, but that didn't work. He couldn't see a thing. Luckily, Zacchaeus had a good idea. I'll climb that sycamore tree, he said. So he did. He was surprisingly good at climbing trees for a man who was so unusually short that he had to take a flying leap just to get into his chair in the morning. From the tree, Zacchaeus had the perfect view, all the way down the road. Another minute, and suddenly, Jesus was at the tree. He stopped and looked up. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus said. I'd like to come over to your house. Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree. Come over to his house? Well, no one ever wanted to come anywhere near his house, let alone inside it. The people saw this, and, well, needless to say, it made them even crosser and grumpier than usual. They mumbled and murmured and muttered. Why is Jesus being kind to that big sinner? Doesn't Jesus know about him? Zacchaeus scrambled down and took Jesus to his house. He was in a big hurry because he didn't want Jesus to change his mind. Perhaps Jesus hadn't heard about him. Perhaps Jesus didn't know about how he had been stealing and how no one liked him and how he didn't have any friends. But Jesus knew. He knew all about Zacchaeus and the stealing and everything, and he still loved him. Zacchaeus was ashamed. Lord, he said, turning pale, what I've done is wrong, but now I want to do the right thing. I will give the money back to everyone, four times what I stole. And that's just what he did. Jesus smiled. My friend, he said, today God has rescued you. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else did. He was Zacchaeus' friend, even when no one else was, because Jesus was showing people what God's love was like, his wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love.
Well, good morning, everyone. And if you're watching online, glad you're joining us there. And if you're a guest with us this morning, thanks for, um, for being with us and worshiping with us this morning and down at F3 as well. Um, I'm glad you are, are here. Um, his name was Ivan Vasilyevich. If anybody had a troubled childhood, Ivan did. His father died when he was three years old, and then tragedy struck again when his mother died when he was only eight years old. It forced him into the uh, tutelage of uh, people who treated him harshly and cruelly. Um, he had a very despicable upbringing. And it's probably no wonder why he grew up to be called Ivan the Terrible. The first Tsar of Russia, 1547 to, or 1557, I think it was, to 1584. Ivan the Terrible. One described him as morbidly suspicious and a vindictive ruler. His 16th century contemporaries um, described him as a leader prone to paranoia, rage, and episodic outbreaks of mental instability. If he suspected anyone of being disloyal to him, he tortured them and murdered them. He even murdered his own son, his eldest son, who was the heir apparent to the throne. He robbed his countrymen to increase his own personal wealth. Um, he broke the back economically of Russia. Uh, people lived in abject poverty while he lined his pockets with um, untold wealth. He was the man everyone in Russia loved to hate. And isn't it interesting that even today there's another Ivan the Terrible by the name of Vladimir Putin who is doing the very same thing. It seems like the man that the world loves to hate. Back uh, about 2,000 years ago in the city of Jericho, uh, there was another man who the people loved to hate. It wasn't that he tortured and murdered people, but he broke the backs of people economically. And we read about him in Luke chapter 19, so I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to um, Luke chapter 19. His name was Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And he entered Jericho, and he's, this is talking about Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now Jesus is passing through because he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's on his way to Jerusalem because he's going to be crucified. Um, and Jericho was... Uh, on that what was called the King's Highway, that major route that connected uh, northern Africa, Egypt, with Damascus and, and points beyond. It was the major um, economic uh, route of, of traders. Everything went through Jericho. Jesus was going through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho was, uh, was not an insignificant city because of that its location on the Transjordanian um, Highway. Um, it was the Winter Palace. Herod, Herod the Great had put up his Winter Palace there. Uh, because of the, 
the, the flow of, of, of trade. The Romans put up um, a tax collecting center there. And that's what Zacchaeus was. He was a tax collector. In fact, the passage tells us that he was the chief tax collector. In other words, he was the head of all the other tax collectors in the area. And the passage there in verse 2 says, And he was rich. Now, we've talked about tax collectors before here. Those were the sophisticated thugs of the first century world. They were kind of the ancient mafia. They were in cahoots with the Roman government. The Roman government would, uh, I guess, hire these guys. They were Jewish people. But they would hire them to work for Rome to collect taxes. And Rome would set a particular tax levy and they the, the tax collectors would collect that and then they would collect a little extra and maybe a little extra and extra and they would line their own pockets with that money. They were mentioned in the same breath as murderers and thieves. They were despicable people. They were hated by their own countrymen because they were traitors. And here was Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector, no doubt doubly despised by people, and extremely wealthy. That would be an understatement. Now there's some other things about Zacchaeus that we need to understand. Interestingly, his name uh, has a meaning in, in Hebrew of, of being a righteous one, the righteous one. <laughs> How odd was that? I mean, I'm sure that just really upset the Jewish religious leaders because in that m mindset of the day, if you had wealth, they would say that well, that was an indicator of, um, of God's blessing on you. By the way, a little side note, these religious leaders of Judaism were also quite wealthy and they also were kind of robbing the people. They were just as much of a cheat as probably Zacchaeus was. But it was a slap in their face to see this this man who is in bed with the Romans who walked about with the name the Righteous One and he was wealthy. Um, he was hated. There's no doubt about it. In fact, if a bolt of lightning would come down and strike him dead, uh, every Jew in Jericho would have said, Amen. They hated him. Um, but God had other plans for Zacchaeus. Keep reading there in verse 3. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. There's two other things about Zacchaeus. He wanted to see Jesus, but second of all, he was a short man. He was small in stature. A scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey in his book, um, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes writes this. I think it's revealing. For undisclosed reasons, Bailey writes, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And to fulfill that intense desire, he carried out two highly unusual acts. He ran and he climbed a tree. You see, in Middle Eastern adult culture, you don't run in public if you wish to avoid public shame. And furthermore, Powerful, rich men do not climb trees at a public parade anywhere in the world. And Zacchaeus breaks with his culture both by running 
and by climbing a tree. This guy intensely wanted to see Jesus. He broke with all cultural protocol to see Jesus. Now, why he was motivated to see Jesus, as Bailey said, is for undisclosed reasons. I mean, we don't know. Maybe, maybe some other tax-collecting friends of his had heard about Jesus. I mean, certainly Jesus' reputation had gone far and wide. I mean, who knows? <clears throat> maybe at some tax-collecting conference, he had met another tax collector by the name of Matthew, and he told him about Jesus. For whatever the reason, this guy was willing to bring upon public shame just to see Jesus. He was determined to get a glance at Jesus. Um, do you remember that little story, this song, we, if you grew up in Sunday school? I sang it, you know. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He, he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Um, again, we have to understand that in that culture, that was just not done. But something else also went against cultural norms. It's what Jesus did in verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must go to your house. Jesus breaks with cultural norms by inviting himself to, Lazarus, uh, to, to Zacchaeus' house, and that was just not done. Uh, verse 6, Zacchaeus gladly receives Jesus. It says, he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Verse 7 says, but when the crowd saw it, the people saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to, to be a guest at a man who is a sinner. Now, if, if Jesus wanted to increase his popularity with the crowd, he sure blew it on this one. I mean, the, you got to almost picture that the, the, the road was lined with people, obviously because Zacchaeus couldn't see over them. <clears throat> Jesus' popularity was um, probably at its height as he's going to Jerusalem. And yet he does something so horribly unconventional. He invites himself into the home of the man that everyone loved to hate, Zacchaeus the Terrible. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus had grabbed the heart of this evil Zacchaeus the Terrible. And it says in verse 9 that Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Um, <clears throat> now a son of Abraham is defined by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 as someone who has faith. Paul wrote, uh, therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And so when Jesus says salvation has come to this home because he too is a son of Abraham, what Jesus is focusing on is here is a man who trusted Jesus, who put his faith in Jesus, who accepted who Jesus was. 
And salvation came into the heart of Zacchaeus because he believed Jesus. In the final analysis, the real question is, how, how on God's green earth could a man like Zacchaeus be given a free gift of salvation? How was that possible? The answer comes in verse 10, when Jesus, when it is said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus describes his mission as he, the Son of Man, who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what Jesus did. Here was Zacchaeus, a member of, of God's special people of Israel, of the chosen people of Israel, the one who had the name, the righteous one, Zacchaeus, who was anything but righteous. He was the most despised, despicable sinner of Jericho. The man everyone loved to hate. And yet Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because the one who was once lost has been found because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, I think the impact of this story is enhanced um, even more when we understand the context of, of what, was, what Luke had been writing here in his gospel account. So, for instance, the previous story, just the previous story over in chapter 18, uh, starting there in verse 35, is about a, a helpless, hurting, blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, who on this same king's highway rode into Jericho. Here's the commotion of the crowd, and um, he asks, verse 36, what is going on? And verse 37, the crowd told him, it's Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And that's when he called out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And there on that busy road, Jesus stopped, verse 40, commanded that Bartimaeus be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, verse 43, he regained his sight and began following and glorifying God. And all the people saw it and they gave praise to God. Here was another son of Abraham who by faith in Jesus was on the receiving end of Jesus' blessing. Now you go back one more story. And by the way, the contrast between Bartimaeus, the blind beggar on the road, and then Zacchaeus, the most wealthy man in all of Jericho, what a contrast. You go back one more story, and uh, you've got this uh, account of a, of, a, of a rich young ruler, verse, um, verse 18. A ruler questioned Jesus and said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. But then he says, You know what the commandments say. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, so on and so forth. And verse 21, this rich young ruler said, Well, I've... I've done all that. I've kept all these things from my youth up. Here was a very 
righteous, or you could say a self-righteous man, if this man's name was Zacchaeus, everybody would have believed it, the righteous one. I've kept all these things from my youth up. And yet when Jesus heard that, verse 22, he said, one thing you lack, now go uh, take all what that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And of course, what Jesus is doing is, he's saying, you think you're righteous? Do you think that the essence of the law is these to kind of a checklist and you, you, you do it and you're fine? No, the essence of the law of the Old Testament was love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Go sell you all your possessions and give to the poor and then come follow me. And what Jesus was doing was exposing this man's heart. Maybe for the first time, this guy realized, geez, maybe I'm not as righteous as I thought I was. Because it says when he heard this, verse 23, he became very sad for he was very rich. Jesus said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Interesting. Again, it seems like we're covering the bases. Zacchaeus, the righteous one who was anything but. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, he was the picture of abject poverty a rich young ruler who was the epitome, at least in the people's eyes, of righteous living. One more story you back up. Um, We looked at it last week. It's the children that are coming. Verse 15. They were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. And yet Jesus, verse 16, said, Permit the little children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then he said in verse 17, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Helpless blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus responded and saved him. Rich and powerful and corrupt and evil Zacchaeus climbed up on a tree to see Jesus going against all cultural norms and brought him into his house and and put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus saved him. He responded. And all these stories, what Luke is showing is that it's this, this childlike faith that Jesus responds to. That the only thing God requires in order to receive eternal salvation is faith in Jesus. By the way, isn't it interesting, in all three of those stories, each one of these people were being prohibited from seeing Jesus. The disciples were prohibiting the, ba- the babies from coming to him. The crowd was prohibiting Bartimaeus, be quiet, he doesn't want to see you. Um, Zacchaeus' short stature and the crowds, the crowds kept Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. But Jesus is the one who would seek and to save that which is lost. That was his mission. And whether it was a little baby or a blind beggar or an evil rich man, who was a chief tax collector. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he found him. 
Now, I think there's some questions that I'd like us to ask of ourselves in terms of applications from this story. So here they are. Here's the first question. Is your goodness keeping you from trusting Christ? We've said it here before, you can never be too bad to get to heaven. But you might be too good. See, what, I'm, what do you mean by that? Uh, people who are bad, their sin is pretty obvious. They know they're sinners. But some people can be so good that the idea of needing a Savior, of, of needing someone to pay for their sins, just kind of goes right past them. I've shared with you at least one other time before that uh, uh, my mother-in-law lived with us for 14 years in our home, the last seven of which of her life was um, where she was caught in the thralls of dementia. One thing about Lisa's mom is that she was a very, very good person. She was as sweet as sweet could be. And we loved having her in our home, even in her dementia. She was so sweet and kind. It was a joy to have her. But she was a very religious person. And time and time again, when Lisa would talk with her about her eternal salvation, Mom, if you were to die, do you know where you would go? She would always respond, well, well of course, I'm going to heaven. But, but why? Well, be because... I'm a, I'm a good person. I've, I've never missed church. I've, I've given to the poor. I mean, she just had a whole litany of good things. Until about a year, year and a half before she passed, which was, well, she passed away just a year, year and a half ago. In the midst of her dementia, Lisa asked her one time again, Mom, if you were to die, which is going to be soon, you're not going to be around here much longer. Do you know you're going to go to heaven? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And this time, her mom said, no, I don't. It's amazing how it was like dementia was making her like a little child. And this time, she said, no, I, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. And Lisa had the opportunity to lead her mom at 93 years old to the Lord. You see, you can never be too bad to get to heaven, but you might be too good. The Bible tells us God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a free gift. But sometimes good, righteous, church-going, religious people don't see their need. They still live under the delusion that when I die, God will weigh my good works against my bad works, and my good works will outweigh my bad works, and he'll welcome me into heaven. And that's not what the Bible says. No one can earn their way into heaven, no matter how good you are, no matter how righteous and religious you are. And that's why Jesus came. He, he came to seek and to save that which is lost, and he was on his way to Jerusalem to provide the most ultimate opportunity for lost people to have eternal life. He went to Jerusalem to die on a cross to pay for our sins 
to satisfy the, the, the Holy Father, his, his, his righteous demands. Jesus fulfilled that righteous demand. He was the payment for our sins. He did it all. And whoever puts their faith in Jesus accepts that free gift for themselves, stops trusting themselves and their religion and their good works and transfers their faith to Jesus and him alone who died and rose again. In that moment of transference of faith, in that moment of belief, salvation comes to that person. And we become a a son, a daughter of Abraham too by faith in Christ. Is your goodness keeping you from trusting Christ? Might be someone here today, and you you obviously are religious because you're here, but are you trusting in that to get you to heaven? I want to invite you to put your trust in Christ because you can come to church all you want. You can give all your money to the poor. And ultimately, when you do all that, you still have to put your trust in Christ and Him alone. There's a second question out of this story that we have to understand is, are we hindering anyone from coming to Christ? You know, again, the disciples hindered the babies from coming. The crowd hindered Bartimaeus. The the crowds hindered Zacchaeus. Are we hindering anyone? And, And what might that look like? Not that we're shoving people away. Well, maybe we are. How might we do that? Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher and atheist, once put it this way. I might believe in your Redeemer if you showed me you redeemed life. Someone says the greatest proof um, of the veracity of, of Christ's teaching is the lives of the people he has changed. Of course, the, he also said the greatest evidence against Christianity is the unchanged lives of the people that they say, they say are following him. We might not be forcefully or purposely pushing people away, but are we drawing them to Jesus or are we repelling them by our life? The first year I was here at Fellowship Bible Church, which was 32 years ago, there was some, and the church was really small. We were meeting back where the nursery is at that time. And and, uh, someone came and visited Fellowship Bible Church, and I followed up that week and called on them and visited with them, and they said, oh, we'll we'll never come back to that church. (laughs) We'll never come back to your church. I I know I was a bad preacher. I didn't know I was that bad. And he said, no, no, you see, the the person that handed us a bulletin that Sunday, one of your ushers, is a person who did us dirty in a real estate investment. We'll never come back to that church if that's who you have in leadership of your church. And man, that was like a stab in the the heart. By the way, it was true. (laughs) Are we, by our life, repelling people are we hindering anyone from coming to christ do we live lives that are compelling invitations to the reality that there's a god in heaven who changes lives who makes a difference back in the little rural church that i pastored in nebraska 
before I came here. It was a small town, 500 people. Everybody knew everybody, of course. In fact, everybody knew everybody in the whole county. It was a small county. And uh, so one of the things Lisa and I did when we got there is we joined the bowling league. The town had a little bowling alley. And so we thought this would be a great way to meet townspeople and, you know, just hobnob with the folks and get to know people. So we joined the bowling league every Wednesday night or Monday night, whatever it was. And so we got to know a lot of people that way. Well, one night, uh, I was in the bowling league uh, trying to dig my ball out of the gutter, and I had me in a conversation with one of the guys on the other team that night. And in the course of the conversation, he mentioned how his car had broken down a few days before uh, out on a country road, and he had the hood up, and it was just, it was dead. And all of a sudden, uh, a pickup drove by. I don't know if it slowed, but it was, went slow enough for this guy whose car was on the fritz to look into the pickup and realize who it was, and the person in that pickup just drove right on by. And the guy bowling that night with me said, I mean, this guy pretends to be a religious guy. He's a, he's a constant churchgoer. He's always talking about, you know, religion and Jesus. I said, man, I'll never believe anything he says. <laughs> he left me on that dusty county road all by myself. I knew who that guy in the pickup was. He was kind of a very religious person, but it didn't impress the unsaved bowler who was with me that night. And I think, and I said to myself, man, what would I have done on that road to Butte? How does that unsaved co-worker perceive me? How does that unsaved student or teacher or neighbor perceive you? Are we hindering anyone from coming to Christ? Well, that's too convicting. Let's move on to number three. Is there anyone you know who you've deemed as unreachable for Christ? Anybody that you've said, oh man, that guy, that gal, it'll be a cold day or a warm day and you know where before that person ever trusts Christ. Anybody that you have seen that you would label unredeemable, unreachable? This story of Zacchaeus, I think, is an encouragement to say, boy, never give up. Never stop praying for people. Robert Craig Knievel was one of those people, bold, proud, brash, a womanizer, a drinker, a boozing party guy who gained a reputation as being America's premier stuntman. And he even changed his name to Evil Knievel. Um, everybody knew this guy was a bad dude in so many ways. And yet, a few months before he died, dying of cancer, someone was touched by the Lord to go visit him had developed a relationship with him and sat at his bedside and told him about Jesus. And it's good to know today that there's a guy in heaven named Evil Knievel because he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a man who everybody would have said, man, that guy will never make it. Uh, Jesus searched for him and saved him because that's what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save that which is lost. Back over in, in, in verse 27 of uh, chapter 18, Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Never, 
ever forget that. And if there is, you know, Grandpa Joe or Aunt Lily or someone in your family that you think they'll never, never make it into heaven, don't give up praying. You keep praying and you keep trusting the Lord and you keep sharing the good news of Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is the one who comes to seek and to save that which is lost. Here's a fourth thing that we need to understand, and that is that are we passionately pursuing Christ like when we first believed? This story of Zacchaeus is kind of, um, it's it's, uh, a bit convicting. I mean, here was this guy who was just acting like a little kid running and climbing a tree to see Jesus? I don't know what it was like for you. I was such a little kid when I became a Christian. Um, I was acting like a kid. Probably still do at times, uh, most of the time, as some would say. Do you remember what it was like for you when you first trusted Christ? A sense of excitement, a, a sense of this newfound faith. You, you, you'd have to set an alarm clock at night when to go to bed because you're in the Bible studies and you loved it. And there was this, this passion for Jesus. But, you know, the, the longer we can walk with him sometimes and the older we get, we kind of get a little, you know, that's old hat, that Jesus stuff, that Christianity. Oh, yes. I, I remember uh, 20 years ago when I learned that truth. <clears throat> and we just get s- kind of sedentary in our Christian walk. We just kind of sit and soak and sour Um, the the enthusiasm that Zacchaeus had we don't know but I I sure hope it lasted the rest of his life the apostle Paul told Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 kindle afresh that gift of God which is in you stir up the fires again Do, do you long for a relationship with Jesus Is he dear to us? Are we excited about Jesus? And and, and people people will see that. They'll see it in our life when we are enthralled with our Savior. But it means we have to spend time with him. We have to kind of renew our our understanding of who he is. We need to rehearse the gospel. You, You died for me. I didn't deserve it. You came and you, you died. You gave your life for me. Are we excited about Jesus? Are we passionately pursuing him like we did when we first believed? One final question. Are we looking up into the trees? Have you looked up into a tree lately? Um, there might be a Zacchaeus up there. Uh, on the Jericho Road, Jesus was passing through. It was his normal life. I mean, he was on his way to Jerusalem. It was the way that he normally would have gone. And that particular day, he looks up and there's Zacchaeus in a tree. And a life is forever changed. A life is eternally changed. Are are we in our journey as we're going down our road of life are we stopping and looking up in trees? 
seen people whose lives desperately need Jesus. Yep, we might label them as unredeemable and unreachable. Yep, they may think they're too good to need Jesus, um, but they're people up in a tree who, apart from the, the grace of God, will end up in eternity separated from God. They need Jesus. As believers in Jesus Christ, I trust most of us today are, uh, we're called to be in this world uh, with, with a sense of saltiness, with, a, with, a, with light that we can proclaim, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, the excellencies of Christ who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, the trees are filled <laughs> with people like Zacchaeus. Are we looking up in the trees and, and sharing the love of Jesus with who's hanging there? Jesus used another metaphor when he said in John 4, do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I, I say lift up your eyes and look under the fields. They're white for harvest. Look up in the trees. There's low-hanging fruit there, and they need to know Jesus. And it might just be someone in your home, in your family, in your place of work. Check the trees. You know, Christians in Ukraine are doing that. Some of the Christians in Ukraine are, are being used by God in tremendous ways right now. Diane Morrison, Diane is the wife of John Morrison, our pastor of family ministries here for many years. Diane has a, uh, a brother, um, Mark Blessing, and his wife Rhonda, who have for decades lived in Ukraine as missionaries. They didn't leave Ukraine, they're still there. And uh, they will tell you that the, the, the trees are full of people right now needing to hear about Jesus. And they've opened up their home as refugees are flooding through their city. Opportunities to share the love of Jesus. I have a friend of mine who is a pastor down in Texas. They have a, a sister church in, in Ukraine, a city, a city in Ukraine about an hour south of Kiev. In fact, this friend of mine is Don Den Hartog's older brother, Dave Den Hartog, who pastors in this church in Texas. Dave heard from the pastor the other day of this sister church of theirs, Nikolai. Nikolai said, these last days I'm thinking much about these very sad situations. There are, there are many different things which have caused it, I think, but the core of it is the sinfulness of man. He goes on and writes to Dave, you see, the last 20, 25 years, I've been visiting many churches in Eurasia and other countries, and I can say that the spirituality of our churches has, be, has become weaker and weaker. The world is influencing more and more. We started to pray less, to share the gospel less, to glorify God less. Oh, it is a big problem, he says. But now many churches have started to pray more and more. People in my city that I have talked to have become much more sensitive to the gospel and the unsaved people are listening. I thank you, dear friends, for your prayers because God is answering. And please do not get tired of prayers. We need them very much. Yours in Christ, Nikolai and Olga. Olga went to the store a couple of days ago, bought the last bag of carrots and some ketchup to make soup. They're sticking around, though, because there's low-hanging fruit 
all over Ukraine. Folks, Jesus is the one who's come to seek and to save that which is lost. But we're to be like Jesus. He wants to use us to do the very same thing. And he'll get the glory and we'll get the joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would strengthen us with a desire, a heart, a passion, first and foremost for you to renew that, that joy of the Lord as when we first believed. And that it would be a, a, just a, like a, a fountain that will bubble forth into our life and spill out over to others. In a day and age which is so racked with pain and, and sorrow, um, what the world has gone through for two years and now this war and, and so many other things happening in our own lives personally. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of concern, financial constraints, crazy world that we live in. No, Father, that we won't put our eyes there, but we put our eyes on you. That we'll grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and like springs of living water, it'll just bubble forth in our life. And we'll pause and take the time on our, on our life's journey to look into the trees. And whether we see people as unreachable or unredeemable, help us to see people like you see them, like, like low-hanging fruit, <laughs> ripe for the harvest. Um, and to trust you, the seeker, the, the giver of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.